You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Church, you can take your seats. Would you join your hearts together with me as we pray to our Father? Lord in heaven, your name is worthy to receive all honor and glory and power and might and wealth and wisdom. For you created all things, and by your hand they were created and exist. Your name is holy. And you commanded your people, Israel, and all of your children to not take the name of the Lord in vain because it is holy. And Lord God, we are unholy. Father, forgive us for not treating your name with the respect that it deserves. Forgive us for, uh, with our words, using the name of Jesus in vain as a curse word or a byword or a filler word. Forgive us for, with our lives, not living in a manner worthy of your name, the name that is above every name. Father, I pray for your forgiveness for me, for our church. Lord, we are not able to live worthy of your name. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed the life of Christ, which he willingly gave up, the death of Christ, which is our death, death to our sin, and his resurrection, which gives us new life. Father, help us in light of the gospel by your imputed righteousness to know that we are only qualified to enter in your holy presence because of the gospel. And if it were on account of our own deeds, we would not be worthy to come to your holy name. We would be cast out. But we thank you that in Christ you have welcomed us. So Lord, today, cause us to fear your name and to walk in reverent awe of your holiness in light of the gospel. Together we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. Such a joy to have Addie and Alex here from Timishwara. The staff have been able to spend time with them uh, this past week. And after the service, they're down in step two right now, just seeing how we operate. But after the service, they're going to be available in the foyer. Please go meet with them. uh, Pray for them. Ask them more ways that you can be praying for them. It's such a joy to know that we can be a part of seeing life planting, life-giving churches being planted across the world. I wonder if you've ever experienced something like this. Dads, you had a hard day at work, argument with your boss, didn't get something in at time, and you're just as tired today as you were yesterday, and you know you need to be a good father, so you go home and you help at dinner, and you do the dishes, and you help your kids with their homework, and finally the kids are in bed, and you're still exhausted. And you just want some of your time to yourself. So your wife goes to bed and you're like, I'm just going to watch TV. But you know, because it happened last night and the night before, that if you linger too long, you're going to go watch a show that you know you shouldn't. And you know you should go to bed. But again, you don't. Young ladies, I wonder if you ever had a time where you were out with your friends and you know that These non-Christian people who you want to be a good witness to, they keep bashing this one girl all the time. 
and you, you don't like joining into it, but you always join into it whenever they do. And then during a pause after you've finished eating your frappuccino, one friend pulls out her phone and is scanning on social media and sees a post of that friend. And all of a sudden, again, your friends are bashing that girl again. And you know you shouldn't, but you join in again. Young guys, how often do you know that you should be studying or you should be doing your chores, but you know what your parents require of you, but again, you game for too long. Ladies, how frequently is it that maybe you have a good budget with your husband and you know what you're allowed to spend, you know what you're not allowed to spend, but every time you go out just for the basics like diapers and milk and bread, you find yourself walking down that aisle again and somehow in the checkout line again buying a thing on the credit card again that you know you're going to have to explain to your husband that you shouldn't have bought. Why does this happen? Why day by day, over and over, do we again and again go back to the sins that easily entangle us? Why does it feel like there is a glass ceiling in our sanctification that we can't break through? There could be a lot of reasons. Some of us are predisposed to certain sinful habits because of our family environment where our parents live, the things we're exposed to at a young age. We're just generally drawn to these sins. Satan also, he knows the button he needs to push to get you back into the muck in the mire again. But there's another reason, and this is the one that for this week and next week we're going to be evaluating. And I think it's a reason that's so necessary for us to consider. I think so many of us go back to the same sin again and again because we neglect the fear of God. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be considering what this means. What is the fear of God? Today's going to be a different type of sermon. Normally, like when we're in the book of Colossians, we take a small chunk of verses and go verse by verse, word by word through that small passage. Today's different. We're going to start going through Deuteronomy chapter 5, but this past week I studied uh, the word fear and the 437 times that it's used in the Old Testament. And today's going to be more of a topical message rather than going verse by verse through a small section of scripture. Uh, I've done evaluation of word by word through what the word fear means in the Old Testament so I can present to you what I believe it looks like to live by the fear of God. So today we're going to ask and answer four questions about the fear of God. What is it? Uh, Why is it important? What's it like when we don't have it? And if we don't have it, How can we live by it? So let's answer this first question. What is the fear of God? My working definition is on the screen. I believe that the fear of God is a conscious awareness of God's holiness and our own depravity. The fear of God is a conscious awareness of God's holiness and my own depravity, which, when we have that awareness, evokes within us An initial sense of terror, terror before God that develops by grace, that develops into an ongoing sense of reverence for God. The fear of God is a conscious awareness of God's holiness and our depravity, which evokes an initial sense of terror that develops into an ongoing sense of reverence. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22 to 29, and we're going to see this definition exemplified through the life of the Israelites. Verse 22, look at it with me. I hope you have your Bible open. 
Deuteronomy 5.22 says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly out of the mount, mount, at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. All right, let's get some context here. When it says these words of the Lord, what are these words that the writer is speaking about? Well, it's Moses talking. And when he talks about these words, he's talking about what the Jews call the ten words. Or what theologians call the Decalogue. Or what you probably know, the Ten Commandments. These words, he, Moses is talking about the Ten Commandments that spoke to all the assembly. Who's all the assembly? The Ten Commandments that the Lord spoke to the first generation of Israelites that were rescued out of slavery in Egypt and told that they would be go to a promised land. And God spoke the Ten Commandments to the first generation who was rescued from Egypt at the mountain. What mountain? Well, some passages call it Mount Horeb. You probably know it as Mount Sinai, right? The place where Moses got the tablets of stone. And look at what it says about the mountain, what it was like. At the mountain of the midst out of the fire, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of fire, the cloud, the thick darkness. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So when Israel heard the Ten Commandments, what they saw was uh, kind of like what Frodo and Sam saw at Mount Doom in Lord of the Rings, right? If you're familiar with that, except Mount Doom is Sesame Street compared to Mount Sinai where God's presence dwelt. Right? The presence of God was manifested on Mount Sinai, and what the people saw was thick darkness, a cloud, fire, thunder. And when they heard the voice of the Lord, it was like a host of trumpets so audibly loud that in terror, they thought they were going to die. Let's keep reading. As soon as you heard the voice of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have seen uh, and we have heard the voice out of the midst of the fire. See, see, consciously aware of the holiness of God. When Israel saw this, they were aware God is different. God is other. God is holy. And that invariably made them consciously aware of their own sinfulness and the consequence of their sin. Keep reading verse 25. Now, therefore, why should we die? Terror. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we haven't still lived? Go near, therefore, and hear all the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear it. They were so frightened of the voice of God, but they wanted to hear the voice of God and do it. They asked Moses to be their prophet, a mediator who would go to God, who Moses himself would hear God's voice, and then Moses could come back and speak what God said, but they were so fearful of listening to God's voice because of the terror of knowing that they couldn't keep God's holy commandments, that they could not keep his righteous requirements, and they knew the consequence for sin. 
death. A conscious awareness of God's own holiness and our own depravity that develops into an ongoing reverence. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. Verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. That's the ongoing reverence. Because you see, while these words were first spoken to the first generation that came out of Israel, Deuteronomy 5 is actually a retelling of the story to the second generation. See, their parents all died in the wilderness, and the second generation was about to enter the land of promise, and Moses reminded them of what happened at Sinai. These kids, the uh, second generation, they might not have been there at Sinai, or they might have only been little children. They might not have been struck with the initial sense of terror that their parents were, but God wanted that sense to continue to be perpetuated through each generation. God wanted them to maintain an ongoing sense of reverence that developed out of the initial sense of terror. I tell you, the fear of God and the experience of the fear of God spiritually is pretty similar to the experience of a heart attack physically. When you experience a heart attack and are able to survive through it, you know the terror. We heard the story of our former senior pastor, Paul Whittingstall, and what happened when he had a heart attack and he lived through it. When you survive through a heart attack, when you first hit that heart attack, it's just like, chew the aspirin, call 911, he's down, incapacitated, could die. But eventually, if you get to the hospital and you make it through and you speak with the doctor and you recognize, I was probably genetically predisposed to this, but wow, did I really live in such a way for all these years that my own lifestyle habits contributed to this? The humble and wise person will never be able to look at a meal the same way. They will never be able to look at their work schedule in the same way. They will never be able to look at their body in the same way because they were so struck with terror with what happened and they had this respect for what their actions can do to their body and they know they can't be the same. I can't eat the same way. I can't overwork myself in the same way. I need to exercise now. The same type of thing happens with the fear of God. How could I for years have going in the same sin and thinking God doesn't see it. When you're struck with that, the gospel should develop that initial sense of terror into an ongoing sense of reverence because you know, Christian, you know what it cost for God to forgive you of their sin. What did it cost for God for, to, give you, to forgive you of that sin? We'll listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to 19 says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, you were redeemed from your sin, you were forgiven of your sin with what? Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you recognize that, Christian? Every time you go back to that website after you've cleared your browser histories thinking that no one else has saw it, what does that say about what you think about the blood of Christ? Every time you gossip and slander that person, knowing that Jesus was slaughtered so that you could be forgiven, what does that say about the quality of our faith in the blood of Christ? What does that say when we're continually lazy, continually angry, continually greedy? Christian, when was the last time that you were genuinely humbled in the fear of God? In awe of his holiness, burdened by the weight of your sin, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, relieved, but now walking in reverence. See, here's where Christians get it wrong. They recognize the weight of the sin, but when they're forgiving of their sin, they're thought, no need to fear anymore. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. And so what we do is we know we're forgiven, but we stop thinking about God in the way we should think about him. We want our God to be a holy God that's, a tame, that's tamed in his holiness. Like a lion is tamed and put into the Toronto Zoo, where you want to go and you want to see it, but it can't really hurt you behind the wall. But the reality is, we can't take God and put him in our domain. We exist in his domain. What would it be like if you saw a lion in the wild? What would you be able to do but just bow to whatever that lion did? See, the grace of God allows the terror to develop into reverence because you know what your sin cost you. And just like a heart attack, I can't go back to this. Why, why can I go back to this? I'm delivered from this. I'm freed from this. And I know what this did to me before. I know what it did to God before. How can I keep going back to this? When was the last time that you were humbled in the fear of God like this? Have you ever been humbled in the fear of God like this? The fear of God is a conscious awareness of God's holiness and our depravity, which evokes an initial sense of terror that develops into an ongoing sense of reverence. If you have never experienced the grace of the fear of God, you may have never turned your eyes to the cross because the cross is where we see the holiness of God. That he is perfect and requires a sacrifice. At the cross, we see the grace of God that he offered a substitute in our place. And at the cross, we are forgiven. Why could I ever go back to what, had my, had, to what my Savior had to be slaughtered for? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Keep believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can break through the glass ceiling of sanctification and actually, truly see victory over your sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, the promise of adoption, the promise that God is our Father, the promise that we are His children, the promise of eternal life, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's this conscious awareness that we need. Well, why is it important? 
the main idea that we want to consider in this sermon is that the fear of God is vitally important for Christian living, yet it has become fatally absent from much of life. The fear of God is vitally important for Christian living, yet it has become fatally absent from much of life. So why? Why is it vitally important? Well, I'd invite you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Having considered Deuteronomy chapter 5, now I want to jump to a bunch of different passages in the scripture from the study that I did this past week, considering all the 400 and some odd uses of the word fear in the Old Testament. And I want to start with Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Why is the fear of God vitally important? Because living by the fear of God is the only way that enables us to experience true and complete expression of humanity. I'll say that again. Listen closely. Living by the fear of God is the only way that enables us to experience true and complete expression of humanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and obey his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and obey his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Theologian J.I. Packer suggests that there's another appropriate way to translate this passage from Hebrew to English. It's a hard passage to translate, but theologian J.I. Packer suggests that you could translate it. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and obey his commandments. This is the completeness of the human person. Why? Why is the fear of God complete us as human beings? Because human beings are created in the image of God. And the only way we will ever properly embrace our true humanity is when we are properly postured before divinity. And the way that our lifestyle is calibrated to be properly postured before God is in the fear of him. And when we live by that, our lives are changed and we will truly live as human beings in the way that God created humanity to live. What I want to do now is contrast the five results of what it looks like to live and embrace the fear of God and embrace our true humanity or neglect the fear of God and live as less than human. What does it look like? What results from living with the fear of God? Well, first, when we live with the fear of God, we will have a genuine love for God. When we live with the fear of God, we will have a genuine love for God. Do you know what the greatest commandment is that Jesus said is for Christians to live? Do you remember it? What's the greatest commandment that Jesus said we should live by? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is referenced Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Yet, that passage, Deuteronomy 6, follows Deuteronomy 5, 29, where God says, Oh, that my people might have a heart as this always to fear me. What this tells me is that we cannot truly love God until we first fear him. When we fear God, we will have a genuine love for him. When we fear God, secondly, we will turn away from evil. Psalm 34, verse 11 to 14 says this, Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I, I actually appreciate that the scripture identifies me as a little child to be able to teach me what the fear of God is. 
Because when my daughter comes into the kitchen and I'm cooking, I need to every single time remind her that the oven is hot and she cannot touch it. Because I know that if I do not remind her, she's going to go and touch it. And even if I have to pull her away with a little more force, it's for her good. Because what will happen if I don't? And in the same way, sometimes we allow our soul to be scorched with sin before we recognize that we're not living in the fear of God. But when we recognize God's holiness, in the fear of God, we won't go back to it. Come, O children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and and pursue it. But you know why we don't turn away from evil, church? You know why I don't? Because just like you, I have habitual sins that cling closely. I believe that we don't have the fear of God and don't turn away from evil because we're more concerned about the present consequences rather than the spiritual consequences. We're only concerned if you're caught by your spouse, if you're caught by your boss. You're not concerned about what this says if you're seen by the Lord. How many people did David sin against when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed? Well, certainly he sinned against Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. Certainly he sinned against Uriah. He forced the general of his army to have him killed. Probably sinned against the general of, of his army because he manipulated him to do something that was definitely wrong. Definitely sinned against the whole nation of Israel because he was the king and he was supposed to lead the nation in righteousness, but he committed adultery and murder. Four people, four groups that he clearly committed against, a sin against, but in Psalm 51, when he said, his confession to God, these are the words he said, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We do not turn away from evil because we do not see it as sin against God. We just see it as a present inconvenience. And until we see sin from God's perspective, we will never have the fear of God. When we live by the fear of God, we we have a genuine love for him. We will turn away from evil. It will be repugnant to us. And we will delight in God's word. That's the third result of living with the fear of God. We will delight in God's word. Psalm 112 says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 verse 1 and 3 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. When you fear God, you're going to invariably want to love what God loves. You're going to love God. You're going to want to love what God loves. You're going to hate what God hates. And in order to live that way and please him, you're going to love God's word. It will be like the best meal you could have every day. For me, That's lasagna. If I could have lasagna for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of my life with maybe garlic bread just for dinner because that's a little more carbs, I would have it because it's delicious. 
when you fear God, the reading of scripture will be so sweet to you because you know what it results in your life. You know the blessing that comes from having it in the fear of God. It's the way that we are calibrated rightly before him in the fear of God. So you're gonna go to it and return to it. You're gonna delight in it. You're gonna love it. It will be the best meal that you will hunger after and you will go after. It will not be a duty. It will not be a chore. It will not be routine. It will be more important than any other item on your schedule or your agenda or your homework and it will satisfy you. Five results that come from living with the fear of God. A genuine love for God, turning away from evil, delighting in his word, and then this, contributing to a just society. Because you see, when you live by the fear of God, it, it doesn't just affect you. It's not supposed to just affect you. It's supposed to affect others as well. It's supposed to affect your family and your workplace and your community. Because our duty as image bearers is to care for other vulnerable image bearers. God created us in his image. And that means if I see another human being also created in his image, who's vulnerable and needy and needs my help, I will care for them. I will fight for them because they are created in God's image just like me and they deserve it just as I would. The scripture says that we have a duty to care for vulnerable peoples. And amongst other categories, the scripture says that we have a duty to care and uphold the rights of the disabled, the elderly, widows, orphans, and refugees. Leviticus 25.17. Leviticus 25.17 says, You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I the Lord am your God. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? Here's the fifth result that comes from living with the fear of God. We will live in abundant wisdom. When we live by the fear of God, we will live with abundant wisdom. Look at this verse on the screen, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 15, 13 and 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can be compared with her. The book of Proverbs is written primarily to young men. Parents, if you don't know why, your kids won't stop gaming, and won't do their homework, and don't keep an agenda, and don't use deodorant, and don't brush their teeth, and have no order in their life, and their life is just chaos, the best thing you can do for your kids is pray and invite them to read the Proverbs with you every day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Read one every day of the month. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman who stands at the end of a street, lifts her voice in a marketplace where people are shopping and invites people to come and listen to her. Listen to me and I will enrich you. I will take your chaotic, simple, complacent, foolish life and give you order and peace and abundance. Come listen to me. But foolish, complacent, sinful boys don't listen but she is more valuable than anything else that you can have. Think of all the best brands you could ever want. Supreme, Gucci. Think of all the dream salary that you can get. Six figures, 
cottage in the summer, stack up all those worldly riches. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is a conscious awareness of God's holiness and our depravity. It's vitally important because living by it is the only way that enables us to live the true expression of God's design for humanity. Well, here's the third question. Uh, What happens and what's it like if we don't live by it? How can its absence be fatal? The idea of our message is the fear of God is vitally important for Christian living, yet it has become fatally absent from much of life. Fatal is a strong word, and I particularly chose it. Fatal like dead. Fatal like no pulse. Fatal like your life will be empty, though you're trying to live it. How can its absence be fatal? Well, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Please turn your Bible with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. When theologians and preachers reference verses that talk about humanity's corrupt, sinful condition, they often reference Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And you might be familiar with it. So let's see if you are. I'm going to start reciting the verse, and if you know it, you can respond out loud and finish it. All right, let's try. There is no one righteous, no... See, most of us know this, but this verse is pretty expansive, and it will show us really the fatality of what it's like when we neglect the fear of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lisp. They have poisonous talking. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How is neglecting the fear of God fatal? Neglecting the fear of God is fatal because it inevitably unleashes the ruin of human depravity. Every city turns into Babylon. Every person turns into the worst version of themselves. The ruin of human depravity is unleashed apart from the fear of God. What I want to do is I want to contrast now the five results that come when we neglect living by the fear of God. First, rather than loving God, we forsake God and worship idols. And then we, you might not bow down to a inanimate figurine. Maybe you do. There's a lot of people in our uh, culture and our community that come from Buddhist backgrounds that have inanimate figurines in their form of religion. But maybe you don't bow down to an inanimate figurine. Everyone has idolatry in their life. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 19, it says, When your people say, why has the Lord done these things to us? Why has he punished us? Why has he judged us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land not yours. God was saying this in Jeremiah chapter 5 through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel as he was about to exile them from the promised land. And he was going to exile them because in the neglect of the fear of God, they served idols rather than God. And we serve the idol in our culture of money, of career success, of our kids' education, 
of body image, of people's approval. And when we don't fear God, we forsake God and serve idols. Rather than turning from evil, we have an unlimited tolerance for sin. Jeremiah 5.22 to 23. Jeremiah 5.22 to 23 says, Do you not fear me? declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as a boundary for the seas, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, and they have turned aside and gone away. Lake Ontario has shores that go all the way around it. And yeah, the water goes up and the water goes down, but the shores are a barrier that keep all of the water, that show the boundary of the water line. And in the same way, the fear of God is a boundary that hems in human living and keeps us from being drowned in our own wickedness. But when we neglect the fear of God, the tide will rise. And sorrowfully, if you decided to make your way downtown today, you would see the rising flood. Pray for our city. Pray for ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, that he considered himself the foremost worst of, worst of all sinners. And in the same way, I don't know a worse sinner than myself. But pray for our city that we would live by the fear of God. Rather than loving him, we forsake God. Rather than turning from evil, we have an unlimited tolerance for sin. Rather than delighting in God's word, we despise God's word. Keeping in Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 30 and 31 says this, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. Wow. Appalling and horrible. What is it, God? Tell us. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their own direction. My people love to have it so. God gave his people prophets so that they could speak God's word. God gave his people priests so that they could lead God's people. But in the time of Jeremiah, the prophets prophesied falsely, the priests by, ruled by their own way and not God's way, and the people loved it. When the church neglects the fear of God, this happens too. It's an appalling and horrible thing when, when parents choose to go to a church because they know that the Bible's not going to be taught there because they don't like hearing about sin. It's an appalling, appalling and horrible thing when church leaders decide that they're not going to open up God's word because they don't think that this ancient book has relevance for the present time, but it's the only thing that does. It's an appalling and horrible thing when church leaders are guided by the current of the culture rather than the wind of the Holy Spirit. But that's what happens. There's a reason that unapologetic preaching of God's word is a pillar in our church because it's not stopping. In the fear of God, we will not back down. We will not apologize because apart from it, we will be lost. Rather than delight in God's word without the fear of God, we despise God's word. Here's the fourth way it's fatal. Rather than contributing to a just society, we oppress vulnerable peoples for personal gain. Staying in Jeremiah chapter 5 still, chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. 
Jeremiah 5, verse 27 and 28 says this. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. This is a, this is a genuine concern that I have for the suburbs, that most of us live an affluent life where, like Jeremiah said of his people, they became great and rich. They've grown fat and sleek, and because of their financial prosperity, they had no care for the needy. And it's not necessarily that we, in our prosperity, put down people, it's that we pass over people. And we're like the priest and the Levite who passed over the uh, man that the good Samaritan stopped and helped. A love of riches will cause us to neglect caring for the people that, who are needy and made in the image of God just like we are. Let not sin of the love of money be a stumbling block for you to pass over the needy. Did not Jesus say, if a man asks and begs, do not refuse him? Yet so often we do. It's a lot easier to get a green cup of Starbucks than to give someone else the same amount of money in a hat in the streets downtown. But we're all created in the same image. Here's the fifth way. Rather than living with a, uh, abundant wisdom, we embrace laughably destructive foolishness. Laughably destructive foolishness. If you do read through the book of Proverbs with your son or your daughter, every time you read the word fool, that was Jason during his high school years. I embraced a laughably destructive life. Look at this verse on the screen, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29. It says this, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. Killed. And the complacency of fools destroys them. This is the personification of wisdom speaking again. And just before this passage, it says that if you do not listen to me, your ruin will come on yourself and you will come to me for help in the moment of ruin and I will laugh at you. The scriptures say that wisdom's attitude is if you reap what you sow and you live in such a way that you allow your own foolishness to come back upon you and then you go to wisdom for help, wisdom is going to laugh at you. And you'll look for help, but you'll reap what you sow. You'll reap what you sow when you don't manage your time. You'll reap what you sow when you don't manage your money. you reap what you sow when you speak words and gossip around you will reap what you sow. The fear of God is vitally important for Christian living, yet it has become fatally absent from much of life. So I want to close in asking you a question. Friend, what type of legacy do you want to leave? What type of legacy do you want to leave? A mentor of mine in university said, legacy is less about the past and more about how your present choices develop the future. And that's what people remember. 
What type of legacy do you want to leave? I pray that our church would leave behind a legacy of the fear of God. Psalm 128 verse 1 to 4 is a promise about the legacy that you can leave for your work, the legacy that you can leave for your family. Listen to it carefully. Psalm 128 verse 1 to 4. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. When you fear the Lord, the legacy that you can leave behind is work that means something and a family that actually flourishes. And it's a promise. Thus shall be the man blessed who fears the Lord. Take that word and bank on it. Thus shall. You want to live a life of legacy that impacts your work, that impacts your family, where people remember in in a manner that it's meaningful to God? Then live by the fear of God. But I ask you, church, what if you haven't been living by it? What can you do? Do you remember how many people were crucified alongside of Jesus on the day that he died? How many were there? There were two others. Jesus in the center and two guilty criminals, one on his left and one on his right. One of those criminals was wise. One of those criminals was a fool. The foolish criminal with nails in his hands close to death made fun of Jesus along with the crowd. The crowd was mocking him. You said you are savior. You saved others. You can't even save yourself. And the guy who was guilty for a crime and moments from death foolishly was making fun of Jesus too. Save yourself. (laughs) But then the criminal on the other side who was humble with his arms nailed to the cross close to death turned to his fellow criminal and said, do you not fear God? We deserve what we've got. He does not deserve it. And then in that moment, in faith, the humble criminal turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. We don't know much about this humble criminal. He could have lived his whole life as a criminal and he finally got what he deserved. We don't know much about him, but we know he was guilty. But we do know is in the last moments of his life when he was at death's door, he finally was a true human being. Because maybe for the first time, he actually humbled himself before God's holiness, recognized his own depravity, and feared God. And in that moment, even though he was bleeding out, he was the most alive that he ever was. And then he stepped into eternity and eternal life for God. Friend, you may have not been living with the fear of God and neglecting it for your whole life. You may have been living as less than human for your whole life. In a moment, turn to the Lord in the fear of him and you can finally begin to live as a true human being and you can start to live your life so that you leave a legacy that actually matters in your work and to your family. Brother, do you want that? Father, do you want that? Dad, you can work as hard as you can to give your kid the cottage in the summer, the vacation in March break, and every athletic accomplishment and the best education, but it will not matter if you do not live by the fear of God. You will only be leaving them dust and ashes. 
but let God shine his glory and greatness upon you and humble yourself before him and the grace of God. Stand up and walk in reverence, turning from your sin, and you will live in the way God designed you. And you will leave a legacy that matters. Let's live that way. Would you stand with me as we pray together? God, my life is just a speck on the sands of time. So small and so short, yet I think I'm something significant, Lord. Forgive me. I remember in Isaiah chapter 40, the Lord says, if you piled up the nations and put them on a scale, their entire weight would only be like a layer of dust. If you piled up all the people in all of the world and, and dropped them like water in a bucket, they would only be a molecule <clears throat> with an entire leader, leader. We are so small, we are so finite, yet we think ourselves so great, we think ourselves so significant, but you created us from the dust and to the dust we will return, but you are the creator and you are holy, Lord God, and forgive us, forgive us for thinking that we more higher of ourselves than we ought to. Teach us to live by the fear of God that we will truly be the humanity that you created us to be, that we will turn from evil and do good, that we will contribute to a just society, that we will love you and worship you. God, would you be gracious enough to show us your glory and humble us in terror before you? Would you be kind enough to then show us your grace that Christ suffered for us in so that we could be saved, so we could move forward from terror to reverence? And God, would you maintain us in that reverence before you? Would we always lift our eyes up to see you? And would you carry us forward in this way to leave a legacy that is worthy of your name? Holy Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.